Hello and welcome to the third hour, a Latter-day Saint home study podcast. This year, we're taking a deep dive into the New Testament. Our goal? To improve our appreciation of the gospel, to investigate the scriptures more thoroughly, to discuss tricky passages, reconcile modern theories with long-standing tradition, and build our faith. In short, to feast upon the words of Christ. We'd love for you to join us. Some of our talking points will be familiar. Other ideas may sound new. That's okay. Together, we'll learn something about the New Testament no matter what our starting level. Every week, we'll let you know which verses we're studying. If you miss some reading, we'll recap what's going on. And don't worry about spoilers. This stuff is 2,000 years old. Welcome again to the third hour. We're glad to have you. Welcome. We are excited to be doing our first podcast. I am Taylor, your host. I'm joined by Ryan. What's up, everyone? Amanda. Good afternoon. And Andrew. Hello. Today, we are going to start the New Testament. We're going to be discussing the Annunciation and birth of Christ. So that's going to cover Mark chapter 1, verse 1. That's not, <laughs> that's not a mistake. That's just the one verse from just Mark. Just the one. We're also going to cover Matthew chapter 1. And Luke chapter 1, as well as the first seven verses of chapter 2. And then we're going to be covering the first 18 verses of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. So I'm going to throw it over to Ryan, who's going to give us a quick rundown of what happens in all these verses. Well, Taylor, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No, I'm not going to be reading it all. <laughs> I was about to ask you if you knew what a synopsis yes. was. <laughs> uh, we will be covering the words, i.e. Jesus's genealogy, which will lead us to the miraculous pregnancy of Mary. But even before that miraculous pregnancy, there is the story of old man Zacharias and his barren wife Elizabeth and how their pregnancy is considered a miracle as well. Uh, we'll discuss a pregnant Mary's visit to her pregnant cousin Elizabeth and womb acrobatics, which, of course, will lead us to a beautiful psalm. Uh, and throughout our discussion, we'll get to know a little bit better the authors of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and to whom they are writing. And this, Taylor, is just the tip of today's podcast, <laughs> Iceberg. Yeah, that was that met the definition of a synopsis. This is very good. This is where I put in the fake applause. Yeah, yeah like the, the studio to audience. Yeah. Yeah. I was say, well what? You prepared a script. Yeah, I'm prepared. I'm not as good yes. as Taylor. Any, <laughs> I yeah, something like that. So yeah, that's our synopsis. This is going to be some fun stuff to discuss today. Excellent. Well, to kick it off, since we've all ostensibly read this, and you mentioned the uh, the psalm that's led into in Luke. Uh, I thought we'd just give each of us a chance to talk about sort of thoughts and feelings from reading these passages. Maybe I can kick it off since the psalm actually really jumped out to me. I love what uh, both Mary and, uh, well, especially Mary has to say about this idea that um, God has done something great for her. And, uh, you know, I, I there's probably won't get to talk too much about it in this podcast because there's not that much to say about it other than, isn't it wonderful that God wants to do something great for Mary? And I think in the Gospels, we see that he wants to do something great for all of us. So that's something, as I was reading, just kind of that jumped out at me, this uh, introduction that right at the beginning, we see Mary rejoicing that God has condescended to work through her. And I think in the stories of the Gospel, we see him doing the same for us. So what other impressions that, you know, before we get into the nitty gritty that we want to talk about, about how you felt as, as you read these verses? 
I think it's interesting that these, so whenever I read a quoted passage, it's the kind of thing I skip. Like when you're reading the Lord of the Rings or whatever, and they start singing a song. That's what I, that's when I skip it. And, and it doesn't cut it when you're reading the new Testament, does it? Like, um, like Mary's song of praise. I thought it was, you know, Luke has not as many as Matthew, but he likes to call back to other things. And so when I, when I was reading this, then I was thinking about how it, um, it reflects Hannah's song on the, about the birth of Samuel. So I, I was going back and looking at that and, uh, the benefit of the comparison between the two, I think was helping me a lot. Um, just, just to read about, um, that this is a, this is a song of praise for all of us, that one of the things that's so wonderful about it is that it's talking about uplifting the lowly and oppressed, um, it's talking about us. This is a song not only about the miracle worked in her life, but the miracle it's going to be working in all of our lives. Um, I think it's beautiful, even the way um, that it talks about the, Jesus, the, the birth of Jesus being foretold um, when the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Um, I mean, that's using really deep Old Testament language because they believed that the way that the spirit would appear to you was as light in a cloud. So it was overshadowing you, but it wasn't directly on you. So, so God wanted to give you his light, but also kind of wanted to, to protect you from that light when you weren't ready for it. And, and that language is continuing here. It's not just a, a manifestation of God's power. It's the right manifestation of God's power. And I love that, the way that it's phrased. So that's all I have to say about it. About the psalm. See, I was trying to think, would I personally be able to write something like this or even say it? Because you're assuming that this was just straight up from the spirit and what she is feeling right then. And I don't know if I'd be able to, <laughs> I don't know if I'd be able to, to say it as well as Mary did. Maybe Luke was able to, you know, fix it a little bit. But this is just great stuff that makes me think, am I this close to my heavenly father to be able to say something like this and mean it. Well, I mean, in, in some ways, um, I feel like, I feel like we're given the opportunity. I mean, so you, you, how many kids do you have? I have quattro. That is four. Okay. I wasn't sure what that meant. <laughs> um, Just in case there are other people that I mean, don't know how to count I mean, cause you, Spanish. Cause you've, cause you've given, uh, blessings to your children. It's true. Uh, in which, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, Maybe it wasn't in Shakespearean <laughs> English, maybe, or maybe, maybe that is true. I, meter. I, I could try that. Uh, it wasn't in like a Psalms meter, but maybe it, you know that it was uh, it was poetic and heartfelt in your own way. you just made my whole day. Yeah, and I think actually I think that's one of the things that I love about this is that it speaks to ways that I felt and, and in blessings and in, in opportunities when you know something is set aside where I'm trying to think about these things and trying to channel what the Lord is thinking and what he would say to someone or that I can, you can, you can understand that sentiment. And, uh, and of course it's all centered around, well, why do we have this capacity to feel this way? Well, because Christ came into these great things for us. So I love this as a, as a prelude to one of the gospels. Um, I love this sentiment right at the beginning. 
I think there are some comforting sentiments, and then there are ones that I wouldn't want to use in a child blessing <laughs> as well, like the reversals, where uh, one of the things that I'm definitely going to be talking about over the course of this podcast is this is the way that Jesus appeared very radical to his contemporaries. And already in Mary's song, um, there are some really, uh, depending on your station in life, they could be, they could make you nervous. Some of the reversals that she lists, you know, that he's going to pull the powerful from their thrones and lift the lowly. Give me a verse. Um, so this is in Luke chapter one, and this is in the part of her praise. This is in verse 51 and two. So 52 is, uh, that Jesus will bring down the powerful from their thrones and lift up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Um, Jesus is not known for mincing words. Uh, and apparently he, uh, got that from his mother. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think, Amanda? Do you want me to, what I think about the Psalm in particular or what struck me? Just in the rereading of these passages. I don't know. Why, why not both? Yeah. Okay. yeah. In the rereading of these passages, what kind of struck me is that I've read them about 7,000 times <laughs> before. Like, like literally 7,000? Probably. Mm, you that's know, impressive. Well, it's easy to start the Bible. It's so easy. <laughs> yeah. and, like, yeah, it's right. and, and like, I did always around this time of year think, I want... I want to reread the New Testament before Christmas, and that never happens. Um, but so, like, these, pa and like, particularly the birth story, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of times. But that this time, as I was reading it, I was reading it, you know, with this terrifying podcast in mind, <laughs> and with a, like, introduction, like, extra scholarship on the desk next to my scriptures. And so I read it in the way I would read a textbook and that like with so much more attention than I've ever paid to it before. And it was, I, the, oh, the phrase is so trite. I hate saying it, but it felt like I was reading it for the first time because I was sure. reading it with that genuine, I'm going to have to talk about this for an hour with three other people in front of a microphone. <laughs> so, I need yeah. to get stuff out of So you were reading it for the this. first time in that context. Yeah. That's great. Well, there, I, there was that intensity to it and the intensity that I brought to the scriptures in the reading of this stuff that I've read a bunch of times before that I told myself, I could repeat this word for, I can stand up and do this in the primary program. But that this time, like the the scriptures met me halfway, and I got more out of it and more knowledge out of it because of what I brought to the table. The scriptures met me in equal and opposite reaction. Hmm, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's I think it's great that we're going to be reading the scriptures over a year <laughs> instead of thinking, like you said, that we need to cram it in before Christmas. Yeah, it gives you a little bit of breadth that you can that you can read it. And then internalize it a little bit. So I, I, I read it maybe three times for today over the last week. And it was great being able to – Ryan's shaking his head. Um, <laughs> and that's shaking as an up and down, like impressive. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I like taking that time with it, um, not, to, not to rush it. Sometimes I feel like the best way to read your scriptures is just to power through and you kind of get mm -hmm. the story arc. But um, for a deep dive like we're doing and hopefully that people at home are doing with us – 
um, I think it's great to, to give yourself that space. Yeah. Great. Well, let's launch into a little bit more detailed discussion of, uh, what we're what we're reading today, we're hoping to kind of introduce the New Testament and uh, introduce the Gospels to you. Maybe give you a little bit of background that uh, you're not familiar with, and we're going to jump in with kind of answering a question of why why did we only pick one verse from Mark? <laughs> why not? I'm going to throw it over to Andrew to answer that question. Real quick, Andrew, will you tell us why uh, we're always going to be throwing questions your way? Tell us your background just a little bit. Well, I, I figure people will figure out my background well, as I we want to hear just a little bit. Just give me, give me the elevator one sentence. Why are you awesome? Um, this is really hard for Andrew to say why <laughs> right? he's awesome. It's uh, going to be sentence. painful for him. Pass. Pass. No, Pass. I, I'm, I'm an enthusiastic amateur. Of Bible studies. Perfect. That's how I'll do it. I also, that is not factually accurate. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I have a background in, in reading the scriptures at, uh, you know, different languages of the scriptures. My, one of my goals last year was to read the Latin Bible. And it was, a uh, it was a bit of a new year's goal. <laughs> that was probably the biggest new year's goal I've ever done. Um, but I'm glad I did it. I, I like doing that sort of thing. Um, I, I don't feel, I feel like I'm learning something new every time I crack them open. Uh, so I don't want to portray in any way like I'm actually awesome. That term is uh, frightening. But uh, you're very humble. I'm not. I'm not that either. <laughs> I'm accurate. <laughs> um, but that's a, that's a good question. So, um, why are we only reading one verse in Mark? Does anyone know? I mean, just they don't harmonize very well, do they? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the short answer to that is, as you're hinting at, that Mark doesn't talk about a lot of these things that the other Gospels talk about. We don't get a genealogy. We don't get uh, details about uh, the birth story or the Annunciation. All these things that we're reading about, um, Mark doesn't doesn't really offer any of that. Just hop straight into the baptism. Hop straight into the baptism. Yeah. Yep. So there are, um, there are a lot of theories about why, for instance, the books are ordered the way they are. Um, why do they go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? So even a lot of people who don't know a ton about the scriptures know, for instance, that Luke and Acts, uh, that Acts is a sequel to Luke, for instance. It's the same author. Uh, the narratives really move into each other very fluidly. So why isn't it, for instance, uh, Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, and then Acts? when that would, that would be a little easier to read. Um, so there's a lot of theories about this. There are tons of theories, but there's two main theories. And uh, if you want, I can tell you the two stories of the two theories. But if you don't want to hear that, that's not an issue. Yeah, I, I think we... I mean... Yeah, I think... We got time. Okay. I think oh, it's a good way to introduce... Okay. For our friends at home, he's pulled out his notes. I, I, I've prepared some notes because I'm scared of... Just making things up on the fly. Um, so, so the oldest story that has been uh, relayed about the order of the scriptures, and it goes back a long way. Um, to give you a sense of how long it goes back, um, there was a uh, priest and a translator named Jerome. And he awesome. Yeah, Jerome. And he lived in the fourth century. And he ordered the books 
uh, when he translated from the Greek and the Hebrew into what we call the Latin Vulgate. The reason he ordered them that way was according to this really old story that had been told for centuries about the way the scriptures were ordered. And the, and the story that he told, and that a lot of his contemporaries, uh, one of his contemporaries was a guy named Augustine, mm-hmm. who is pretty well known. Um, uh, the story that he told was that he ordered them in their publication order. And here's why he argued that. So to him, Matthew was the first, and it was written by the actual apostle Matthew. Um, Christianity was still basically a sect of Judaism, and it was still centered on Jerusalem. It spread a little bit, but not majorly. And, um, and there was starting to be some conflict between mainstream Judaism and this Christian sect. So Matthew writes this gospel, um, and one of the things we'll talk about today is what, what is each of these books trying to accomplish? Why are they different? What are their narrators saying to us? Um, so Matthew writes a gospel that's full of, uh, it's, you know, Jewishisms, basically. He quotes a ton of Hebrew scripture. He refers to a lot of uh, rituals. And one of his intents is to write to this audience and show the way that Jesus is the fulfillment of what these scribes and the Sanhedrin and the Jewish people are waiting for, the Messiah. Hmm. But that maybe it's a little bit different than what they're expecting. So it's writing, he's writing to a Jewish audience. So think about maybe the year, according to tradition, the year is maybe 53 AD. So it's still a couple decades after uh, Jesus has departed, but there's some proximity there. Now, fa- fast forward another two or three decades, and what's happening? The church is spreading. And so Paul wants to create a new gospel that will appeal to people who are not in Jerusalem, who are not Jewish. They're Gentiles. They're people who come from a different background, and now they're joining Christianity. And so Paul, because he wants to tell them this story, but he wants to do it in a way that isn't that doesn't have this high barrier of entry uh, that's Judaism. So he commissions his uh, traveling companion, Luke, who is a prominent figure in Acts, uh, he commissions him to write a new gospel. And and it's kind of this very historical gospel. It compiles a lot of different ideas that the other gospels are missing. It's a it's more historical. Um, you have to be careful with that, though, because when we say history, it doesn't mean history the way a modern historian would write it. He's still clearly mostly interested in uh, you know praising Jesus. It's still very much a clerical history. Mm-hmm. But he writes this history. Now, if you're super astute, what's the question? So we had Matthew, and now we're writing Luke. So already, yeah, we're already out of order, right? Yes. So, so here's where it gets tricky because Jerome is not arguing. He's putting them in the order they were written. He's putting them in the order they were published. Because one of the problems with Luke is that neither Paul nor Luke were eyewitnesses of Jesus's ministry. Mm-hmm. So he needs the approval of Peter in Jerusalem before he can publish it. So he requests Peter to give a number of sermons in Jerusalem um, that will be, that will kind of promote this new gospel. Um, And Mark, the scribe of Peter, uh, according to to tradition, he records those sermons. So Mark is short, according to this story, because Peter was giving, it's a speech. 
he's standing up on a box and he's giving a speech to people. And so it's a little bit, it sources scriptures a little less. It's a little more emotional. It skips over events a little bit more. And the reason is, is because it's a speech. It's a speech. Hmm. So now you're saying that you're saying that uh, Paul asked Peter to give these speeches in preparation for the gospel of Luke to come out. Yes. So, and so that's the story. Okay. I'm not saying it. <laughs> right, right, right. That's what Jerome said. Yes. And, that's so sort why of the would tradition. he give speeches with his own sort of set of gospel events rather than kind of as a preparation okay. uh, for it. it? It's a it's a it's certainly a less Jewish uh history than Matthew is. Sure. Um and then sort of so greasing the skids in a sense. Yeah. yeah. And so and so Mark um and it, there's also a lot of theorizing that Mark is unauthorized. Um so Mark is recording Peter's speeches and he asks, Hey, is it okay if I write these up and distribute them? And Peter doesn't say no. Um, but it, it wasn't intended as a gospel originally. Interesting. Possibly. That's, that's what, the story. Yeah, that's the story. Yeah. And so, um, and so then Mark is published and then Luke is published and, uh, pretty much everyone <laughs> agrees that John has just written a lot later. There are a lot of reasons for that. We'll undoubtedly talk about them over the next few weeks. So that's the traditional story. And it has the benefit of being a story that was told for almost 2000 years. And it has a lot of tradition to it. It's what we call the two gospel hypothesis. And it's, it's the basic idea that Matthew uh, is used as the template for Luke, which both are used as the template for Mark. And then they're used as the template for John. Um, so that's the first story. <laughs> Um, the second story is, um, is a little more complicated and it's because, and it's shorter. It's, it's a shorter story. (laughs) It's not that it's long. Um, it's a little less. That way Amanda's like, oh dear, that just took like six minutes. That means this can take like 12 No, no, it's more complicated than accidental gospels being written on the slide. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's that, um. It's that the first gospel was probably Mark. Uh, so th- where, where this comes from is from mostly German scholarship. Uh, in the 19th century, um, there were a couple of uh, German uh, scholars named um, Storr and Lachmann. And what they theorized is that it, it went kind of the other direction. So that Mark is the original gospel and that there was some other theoretical gospel. Um, it's probably a book of sayings, according to them, which was a very popular genre in this time period um, that disciples would, um, instead of telling a history or writing a biography about someone, they would take, for instance, Jesus and write down all of the great things he had said in his sermons and a few of maybe his miracles. Um, and then they that would be what was distributed rather than... Um, yeah, like a conference talk, yeah, <laughs> almost yeah. rather than yeah. on this day, President so and so went to you know Draper, um, <laughs> and um, and so what they theorized is that Mark and this other source, which they called Q, which is the germ, uh, which is short for the German Quella, mm-hmm. uh, which means source. So it's not super original. <laughs> uh, it sounds cool, Q. Uh, it's not Q. It's just Quella. Um, but that these two sources were what were used to create Matthew uh, and, and Luke. Um, there are some weaknesses with this theory, just as there are some weaknesses with the other theory. For instance, we've never found Q. Um, 
I tend to lean toward this theory, um, as do most uh, 20th century academics, just because it's messy. Uh, it, it presupposes that um, instead of there being this really nice story about everyone writing everything, that uh, chances are that we don't know who wrote the Gospels, that there was probably a tradition of Matthew and a tradition of Luke and a tradition of Peter and Mark, uh, and it was passed down um, maybe it was written. Sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. Um, but eventually it was recorded, but probably long after the fact it's a, it's a much messier theory. Um, it's also, I hope over the course of this podcast, people can kind of form their own opinion about, uh, what these books are trying to say. Yeah. So let's pause there and let's ask, let's ask this question. Why, why do we care about a story like this about, where the Gospels come from, why they're ordered the way that they are, uh, what the possible sources were, what the authorship of the Gospels are. Why are these questions important, do you think, to a study of the New Testament? That's a really good question. I think it's important to know where things came from, but but it is also I'm, – I'm asking myself like, man, I, I'm putting a lot of trust in these scriptures, mm-hmm. right? Assuming that they're legit. And so then diving into – Figuring out who wrote them and did they really write them was a tradition and and how far after was it? What got lost? Did it all get saved? Was it awesome back then, or or was it all saved on their uh, Twitter account, which probably wasn't? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. how do you? So that's why I say it's a good question because, yeah. and because I, I partially I can't answer it. Part of part of my answer is a bit corny, uh, but it's the the blind men and the elephant, right? <laughs> That uh, you toss four blind men in a pit with an elephant and they're each going to – they feel something flappy and they're like, oh, it's a tent. And someone feels something that's a rope. Oh, it's a snake. And they're each touching a different part of this this hole. Um, and it's only by compiling their reports that you get the outlines of what this beast really is. Um, I feel – you know, I know I know that not everybody feels this way. Um that that going into your scriptures uh, at this level can maybe be a bit more confusing than just a surface reading. Uh, for me, I feel in my life it has given me a bit more of the outline of who the person of Jesus was and what He wants me to do. Uh, I have a I have a strong testimony of that, and it's it's by going through and I I know what Matthew is trying to say, and I know what Luke is trying to say, and uh, I have no idea what John is trying to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and and knowing or not knowing those things does help me uh, approximate who my savior is a bit more than just um, than just getting one easy perspective. We all approach everything in our life with so many biases and presumptions and the paradigms we're operating within. Uh, these people are no different. Um, so knowing where they're coming from, what the context of these teachings are, has always helped me. Uh, to center where I'm supposed to be. I mean, that's that's my fuller. corny answer. Yeah, a fuller picture of who Jesus was. I, I think, think that's a great answer. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> well, and I think I think being able to figure it out how how you your yourself get to know your Savior Jesus Christ and 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 also our our Heavenly Father, but then it, it can help you understand how you could perhaps help other people. 
It is is it's a skill to be able to understand where one person is trying to talk to another audience, what their what their goal is. That can, that's something that you can also take and say, okay, how can I apply this to my coworker or my cousin or my buddy, whatever. Yeah. All right. Well, so with that, uh, did you did you get to talk about the, the stories as much as you wanted to, Andrew? Sure. All right. Excellent. I talked about them more than anyone so, else wanted. So that. that's. <laughs> Oh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was quite fascinating. Oh, thanks, Taylor. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, so with that sort of background, let's let's talk a little bit about in these passages right off the bat, what, what are some of the differences that, that you noticed in what was emphasized in what, uh, in what was talked about, especially between um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke? We've already talked about Mark doesn't talk about much, so that's an obvious difference. What are some other differences that were noticed? Well, I think what Andrew was saying, uh, that, that Matthew, he, his audience, he's trying to help convince the Jews, right? Jews, people that are are steeped in Old Testament scripture, right? Yeah, and I I think it's important um, to note. Um, just just so our listeners know, we're recording this in October, <laughs> just because of some some events that have occurred in the world this week. I've been feeling a little extra sensitive about the way we approach Judaism, hmm. um, and. And um, for instance, I was in Sunday school and we were studying Isaiah 53, which is a very loaded chapter for Christians um, because it's, it's about, uh, in the Christian worldview, it's about the coming of the Messiah. Um, and, and a few people were remarking that they couldn't see how this chapter could be understood in any way um, differently. Like they couldn't see how this could be a chapter about, for instance, uh, Israel in bondage in Babylon. And it was hard for me, just given recent events, um, the, the way that we talk about the Jewish people, and so often in Christianity, it leads to persecution. So I, I do think it's important to note that Matthew, like you're saying, Ryan, uh, is talking to Jewish people and trying to persuade them about this Messiah, but he's talking to Christian Jews, uh, that every convert in the early church for a long period of time was Jewish. So when we when we talk about the Jews rejected Jesus, the Jews are also the ones who accepted Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so I that might seem tangential, but I did want to throw that in there. Um, that it's very important that that Matthew, you're right. He's talking to the Jewish people. He's also talking to Christian Jews. Uh, there isn't a distinction yet. There, uh, Christianity is just a sect of Judaism at this point. So sorry. Go ahead. But I don't. Th- I don't know if it's even. I mean, what I was gonna. What I was gonna bring up is that I think that we're not trying to say, "Hey, Jews, people that that believe in the Jewish faith, you were wrong." It's trying to say because <laughs> that's that's what you're, tra- you're right. Right, and, it's, and we don't want to per- try to persecute. We're saying, "Hey, here's what you believe," and and we want to be able to say, "So do we," and we want to add on to it. Sure. Right. When, when any. I think we need to be clear that any re- any adherent of any religion is basically saying everyone else is wrong. Yeah, sure. I was thinking <laughs> so that. Yeah. We, so we, we are saying that to some extent. We are extent. saying that to some extent. But I, I don't want it to be the type of approach where somebody listening can get this impression like we're talking about there's Christians and then there's inaccurate Jews. Um, this is all still in Jerusalem. They're all Jewish, um, likely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's an important point that, I mean, the church is launched by Jews. I mean, Christianity, certainly it grows quickly among the Gentiles, but it doesn't go anywhere if it doesn't have that base to start with. Yeah. So what are some of the differences? 
<laughs> Sorry. Well, I you remember the question. Nice job. <laughs> I tuck it away. Tuck it away in the back of my mind. Well, what I was just going to say is, is just trying to remind them because what, what I guess – they're wanting to be able to he, – he's wanting to say, hey, look, this is Jesus' lineage because that's important, right? Because it's mm-hmm. part of – it fulfills a prophecy. So that was one difference that I saw was like, oh, look, not difference, but this is where – the way that Matthew starts. And I thought it was fascinating to see the whole genealogy. But then who else does it? Well, so one thing that's cool – so Luke. Luke. You yeah, found right. something really yeah. important yeah. here that – so Luke, it's in chapter 3. Uh, that he shares the genealogy of Jesus. After the baptism? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. a genealogy. So I guess you don't have to say it up front. But it is, it's out <laughs> it of order. Hook. It, was a, it was a, yeah. It, you're right, it's out yeah. of order, which is going to sometimes make our reading a little tricky because you have to jump around to yeah. get everything. Um, the differences between them, I think, are fascinating. And I think it's really instructive of what Matthew and Luke are trying to say. Uh, did you guys notice any of the differences between the genealogies in Matthew and Luke? Well, there's a lot of differences between. It's not like there's just one or two. Well, so what are some of them? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't write them down. One of my favorite differences between the genealogies is that Matthew actually mentions women. That's yes. nice. Okay, and it is so cool. <laughs> He's why. really excited, guys. It is so cool. Why he mentions women? Did anyone notice which women he mentions? Uh, yeah. Who does he mention? Um, he, well, what you're going to go for is he mentions women with sketchy sexual histories. Yes. <laughs> Bathsheba, right? Yeah. So Tamar, um, Rahab, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Rahab, yeah. And why does he mention that? What an, what an interesting thing to put in your genealogy. What do you think, Amanda? Uh, well, I know what we're going for here is that Mary gets pregnant out of wedlock. So that's yeah. less of a big deal when you have... Bathsheba and Ruth and a prostitute and a woman who faked being a prostitute. I think one of the things that's so smart about that is that he he's not just he's not just saying they're prostitutes. He's saying they're prostitutes who are I mean, the whole reason you share a genealogy is to connect yourself to heroes in the past. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which he's obviously doing with King David for instance. But the reason you write, but the reason he's using them is that these are women who, yeah, had kind of a sketchy history, like you're saying, but they're still heroes of Israel. They're still heroes of these people. And he's saying, if these women can still be heroes, despite their sketchy past, the Old Testament is not always kind to women. um, How much greater and how much more of a hero is Mary, who maybe some of you are claiming she has a sketchy past, but it was a it was a virginal birth. It was a miracle. She is a hero of Israel. It's such a cool parallel. I love it. See, and I had never even seen that. That's why I'm here in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what, else, awesome. what else do you think? Um, on that subject in particular, that because I did because I've looked at the woman before, and that was one of the things that I looked at a lot this week was just how all of these women. They're sketchy. Well, not all of them. Most of them. They're sketchy sexual histories. Because there was a job that had to get done. And that was the only option they had was their sexuality. And so if that's the only door open, that there was something that needed to be needed to happen. And so they got the job done. And so just to kind of play off that parallel that it's not 
just that, see, a virgin birth isn't that weird in comparison to uh, Rahab, who, oh, no, yeah, Ray, no, it was Tamar who slept with her father-in-law. Um, yeah, that's sketchy. Yeah, like, <laughs> virgin birth in comparison to that, that's fine. Um, but that all of them, it was in like the greater service of the divine for lack of a better phrase that uh, Judah wasn't, I, I mean, Matthew two is when it talks three, excuse me, when it talks about Judah and that Judah wasn't adhering to the law. And so Tamar dressed up as a prostitute and tricked him into adhering. And then we all, and just the, all of these women, it was still, they still maintained their spirituality, I guess. Like, I, I'm hand gesturing a lot, which really doesn't convey to you lovely people <laughs> over the podcast. Um, but the, it didn't define, like, ugh, I don't know. I got It's not think, coming together. This is the trouble with not having the questions beforehand. I think there's a beautiful element of practicality to it. Yeah. That, uh, that whatever this plan is, it's going to use people uh, yeah. if they're willing, kind of regardless of some downsides to them. Um, like it, when it introduces Zacharias and Elizabeth, it's very careful to say that they're observant and they're righteous. Um, and Zacharias uh, still doubts. And uh, he's he's struck doubt so hard he's struck dumb and deaf. Yep. He they have to motion to to people. He's he's not doing well. Um, and still, uh, he ends up being the father of the herald of the savior. It's it's we will be if you're willing, you will be utilized. Uh, what do you think? You're nodding, Taylor. I just agree. I think that's I think that's one of the beauties of the Bible that too often gets glossed over because we're we're uncomfortable with with people's weaknesses, with the, the idea of doubt. Here's, here's someone that we hold in such high esteem doubting. What do we do with that? Is it actually okay to doubt? Right. I mean, so we tend to gloss over these things too often when, when they can provide us this great comfort that, yeah, God will use you if you're willing. And that's really the only requirement because here's all these really flawed people being used. Well, and that's, and that's also the assumption is that if you are being used, you're not flawed. You must be perfect. Right. Which is not true. Right. Not true. We also get some hints, and I, I love that you brought up these heroes of Israel, Amanda, because it shows us a lot about who these authors are. So Matthew, because he's speaking to a Hebrew-speaking audience, he's interested in Hebrew heroes and the and the fact that Jesus is descended from King David. He's very he's very much trying to draw that parallel that Jesus is a new Moses, he's a new David, um, whereas Luke. Who remembers how that winds up? Well, I was just, I mean, one big difference is it goes all the way back to Adam, son of God. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead of starting at Abraham. Right. So he's connecting him to mankind. Right. Rather than just to this one covenant promise. Right. By the way, 
the questions that I wrote are not authoritative. I just, as the host, everyone should ask questions. As the host, I felt like I needed to have a list to pull from. Uh, if okay. Things got slow, so, okay. and I ran some of them past well, Andrew. And maybe, oh, that's oh. Question. maybe next time we'll also have like here's the outline we want yeah, to do. Maybe, yeah. we'll put maybe. but so, I, the point of my making a list was just in case it got. Like really quiet and Taylor, what to say, I would have something to look back. I, I appreciate your to, list. Not to uh, the fantastic not to enforce questions. A certain discussion. Why well, want us all to have questions? For yeah. instance, last night Ryan called me uh, to run the synopsis by me, and and nothing changed because it was so good. But he had a question. <laughs> Do you remember your question? Oh yeah, yeah. Because Luke is talking to this way cool dude. Uh, and now I'm trying to remember his name. Yeah, Theophilus. Yeah, Theophilus. Who is Theophilus? Theophilus. Who is that? Anyone know? (laughs) That's a good, that would be like a good name for a pet, right? Theophilus. Um, We're having a baby soon. Should I consider that? Oh, is it a boy? (laughs) No, it's a girl. Theophila. (laughs) Anyway, who is this Theophilus? I can tell you the two theories because Andrew gave me homework to read before class. Oh, sweet. This is class. Because Andrew, Andrew said, I don't know. And I was like, oh, I thought, I thought you knew everything. Well, we don't know, but there are theories. Yeah. Okay, theories. Okay. Um, so one of the theories is that he was a uh, prefect, maybe, governor. Um, that he's called most honorable and the, when the only other people referred to as most honorable were Roman I want. I want to say prefix, but it might have been some other governmental capacity, um, and so that. But we don't have him anywhere in the histories or anything. Hmm. And the other is that Theophilus translates to be, be, beloved so, of God. Yeah, so something along so those theo, lines. So Theo, like theology, is God. Yeah. Theo is God, and Philo so, is love. love. Yeah. So lover of God. Yeah. So that he might that might be his euphemism for the people of the faith. Yeah, I mean so so exactly right. One of the things one of the interpretations yeah, that I, was I told did my to me, homework reading. Yeah, one of the interpretations I really like is that uh <laughs> it's talking to anyone who's reading it. Yeah. If you're reading this book, you're a lover of God, so it's talking to you. It's probably not that Probably not, but, but I like it's, it. It's a cute. It's it is a, a nice it's interpretation. A, yeah, yeah. It's a cute idea. I think Theophilus sounds like an Italian dish, like a cuisine. Oh, is that Theophilus? Yeah. You Do you like Theophilus? <laughs> <laughs> With Mazuthra? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like maybe this so part tasty. needs to be cut. <laughs> that's my only joke. <laughs> okay. so yeah, that was my question. Who is that guy? And yeah, that's a great question. Those are some beautiful, beautiful theories. Particularly the last one, yeah. No. Um, the one of the th- other things that I noticed in not in the genealogies, but in their setups, is the point of view that they choose to come in from. That Matthew, it's short, but that the child is announced to Joseph, and it says, "Oh, FYI, Mary's pregnant." And then we don't find out how Mary knows that in Matthew, whereas in Luke, not only is it much longer, but that we get how Zacharias finds out and we get how um, Elizabeth finds out and we get how Mary finds out. So it's just two opposing, like different viewpoint, approaching viewpoint, points of view. Ugh, I'm going to get less garbled at this, I swear. Um but two different points of view approaching 
finding out about the Christ child. Yeah. Yeah. That was something I noticed too. The, the very one's very Joseph centric and one is very Mary centric. Yeah. Like not even just how Mary finds out, but like the run up to other people finding out so that Mary has someone to go to when we presume Joseph is having his panic attack about Mary being a virgin birth. Um, So that like, so we even have that prequel information. So we've got just the whole setup around Mary, including her point of view. I I like that we're already having a complicated relationship with women in the New Testament (laughs) because this time period and some of Jesus's teachings are going to get hairy on that point. Uh, These are all books written by men to men. Word. And uh, yeah, (laughs) seething. Um, (laughs) Oh, that's not seething yet. We can get there. (laughs) We're going to get there, huh? Um, And and it is going to be interesting. some of the context of this stuff is we're going to talk more about it next week, especially, but um, this is very much a patriarchal system that they're operating in, both in terms of Judaism and in terms of Rome. Um, and there's a, and when we think of relationships between people, we tend to think of them as roughly horizontal, uh, even with your boss, it's kind of a diagonal line between you and your boss. They're above you, but they still have this obligation to you. And in this time period, there is so much uh, vertical, so many vertical relationships. Nearly everybody is answering to someone. Every woman is. Mm-hmm. Um, nearly every man is. And it's that's going to be something that's going to be very important once we get into especially the parables and talking. What does it mean to call someone master? Uh, it means something that most of us in life are never going to encounter. Um, what other questions are we asking here? Let's get a little introduction to, um, maybe it makes sense to just start. What are we, what are we reading here? So we said, we're just reading these, uh, first few verses of John. Why do we select that out? Remind the good people what the first few verses I can't remember. That's why I did it that way. One One through 17 or 18. 18. One through 18. One through 18. 18. Yeah. I guess there is a nice little break here in my Oxford Bible. So So this is a prologue. It's written differently than um, most of the rest of the Gospel of John. And by my understanding, and you guys can kind of correct me with your own reading, that a lot of people view this prologue as sort of being put in maybe even later to frame how we're supposed to read the rest of the gospel. I've heard it speculated that it's based on other like period poems. Yeah. Or at least sections of it are. I think it's, I think it's terrifically evocative. Yeah. It foreshadows a whole lot in a way we've already got the gospel. Uh, I mean, we're almost done. Yeah. No, I think that's, yeah. We've had some great stuff already. And it foreshadows specifically, I mean, right at the beginning, it foreshadows this idea of the divinity of Christ, right? So that one of the things this prologue is really going to emphasize is um, Christ is God. And that's, so So just as a quick reference, that's going to be one of the hallmarks of John, is that Jesus is very much divine. Um, where kind of Mark takes more the the mortal side of things. He, I mean, all of these are going to say he's both mortal and divine. But Mark's Jesus is a little more earthy. This Jesus um, has jokingly been referred to by some as the alien Jesus. This is kind of the distant one, um, and which is ironic because I feel like a lot of my most appreciated passages uh, personally come from John. 
Yeah, same here, actually. So, um, so one thing that this might, I don't know if anyone would appreciate this context, but one of the things I'm always interested in when we see a word capitalized that isn't a proper noun, um, why is it so important? So right away, um, you know, we're six words in, uh, in the beginning was the word. What does that mean? Uh, why is, why is Jesus a word? Um, and I've heard so many different explanations for this. Um, the one that always resounded with me, uh, in studying Greek is that we're using a very particular word for word. Uh, we aren't using the word Lexus, uh, with, you know, the, the root of lexicon. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the grammatical construct of a word in Greek. Instead, we're using logos when we talk about that. And uh, logos, when we talk in Greek about anything, is really different from, from just a normal word. Um, it's, it's this philosophical kernel. It's like the principle of your divine reason that all men share and uh, links you to whatever God is. And so it's a very different kind of word. And it has a whole bunch of possible translations. Amanda, what are you going to say? Oh, well, all it makes scads more sense with that being the... Because I... In case you couldn't hear the flipping, I pulled out one of my other handbooks from one of my religion classes to check on something that I thought my brain was making up. Um, And when I was reading through that over the week... It was just talking about word being the talking about how Christ is a concept and he can be shared. And like, I don't really know how I feel about that interpretation. Andrew's snickering. You can't see him. No, I'm smiling. I agree with you. That's your snicker smirk. It's kind of reductionist. Yeah. And so the thought of logos is, oh, the kernel of like divine inspiration. And like, oh, that's a much better translation than word as word. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, Um... so, wait, while we're talking about translations, um, in the second half of our 18-verse prologue, we start capitalizing light. What's that light? I don't know. I would have to bring my Greek Bible. Um, I don't know what it is here. Oh, yay. I get to give Andrew homework now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this hasn't been stressful enough. Um, so, you mentioned there's multiple possible translations. Could you share what other possible translations. So, so logos is a complicated word. So yeah. in Greek philosophy, um, you, you will get philosophers talking about logos to mean a few things. So, so literally it can mean ground, um, but it can also mean things like opinion, speech, reason, uh, a very common uh, way that it's used by Greek philosophers is to mean discourse. So when you, when you make uh, a statement or when you make an argument, th- that that's logos. It's this it's this depth of passion and order, and it's it's a thread that unites us to the universe in a sense that all things are ordered and reasoned. Um, so it's this weird universal that binds everyone, especially when you're making a reasoned discourse. I I know at least one Latter Day Saint scholar has. Um, taken that to mean that it's saying in the beginning was a council, like a, like a discussion council. That seems a bit of a stretch to me. Mm-hmm. I don't think we need to go that far to think, to find this really enlightening to use the word logos. Um, yeah. There's this great way in which, I mean, you keep talking about this course connection to, to the, to the universe, something we all share. I mean, it's, 
it's a great way to think about here's Christ who's creating connection between us and the Father, right? Making, right. And there are so many ways it's meaningful. Right. Yeah. And quite beautiful. It's quite beautiful poetry. Right. It is very way. poetic. It's yeah. easy to see why uh, people would say this is a, a poem. Right. Uh, it's incredibly lyrical. Well, and even the ground definition, which is based off your tone, not the preferred one, but even thinking about Christ as the ground upon which yeah, we sure. stand and which it is all founded and based upon, even that one works. Right. And I and I don't mean it in a demeaning sense when I it's it's just not as often used yeah. that way. Yeah. Um it just can be. Yeah. Words yeah. are weird. Well that's the beauty of thinking of it as poetry, right? Though I mean often poetry selects for words like that. Oh yeah. That absolutely. Have many meanings. And we're gonna talk about many meanings when we get to the parables. <laughs> yeah. So excited. So confused. <laughs> so we've already talked a little bit about, about how the genealogies and other things that, that we read in the other gospels frame the way we're supposed to read it. So as you as you as we read this prologue, what do you what do you we've mentioned briefly it's given as one linchpin, which is Christ is divine. And that's going to be something we see throughout John. Is there anything else this tells us about how we should read the Gospel of John? You know, even, even, so when I, when I told those two stories, mm-hmm. even the oldest tradition acknowledges that John is kind of the weird gospel <laughs> in that it's very spiritual. It doesn't, you're going to, you know, one of, one of our goals is to harmonize our gospel study. So every week we're going to have different scriptures from different books and trying to kind of line up uh, what the chronological story of Jesus is and get something out of that. Um, There are different harmonies that exist. There isn't, we don't know the exact one story that everything conforms to. And John is the outlier in a lot of ways. He, there are ministries that don't quite line up with the other ministries. And there are stories that, that don't line up with the other stories. And this isn't to say that they aren't valuable or that they aren't, that there isn't truth in them. It's not to say that at all. Um, but even very early Christian church fathers had to grapple with why is it so different and what does that mean? And, and approaching it kind of in that poetic, spiritual way, as opposed to like Luke, which is plainly trying to be a biography. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think this, these first little bit that we've read, these verses that we've read already really kind of highlight this, right? I mean, in, in, in Luke, uh, we get this, a story about an annunciation and a birth. And we get something similar in Matthew. Mark sort of skips past it all. Um, <laughs> but John gives us this very poetic, you know, in the beginning was the word. And um, so it's the birth, but the spiritual one rather than the physical one. So he's going way back instead of starting with the mortal life. He also, he, and he, he goes also, way he, forward. He, right? yeah, he also gets he to the mortal life. The word became flesh and lived among us and we have yeah. seen I mean, his glory. In a way, this is a synopsis of everything we're going to read. Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't give much detail. <laughs> right. The law, the law indeed came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And now all of a sudden we've trans, you know, so we've, we've seen now the, we've gone from the word to Jesus Christ. And like you say, we've kind of the synopsis of the whole, the whole life, but it's very poetic. It's very, um, there's a lot of different ways to understand it. Like we were just saying everything from Jesus is the ground on which we stand to Jesus is the thing that connects us to each other and to the universe. Um, so it's a very different reading, but it is, it is still introducing this coming of Christ. And so there's, it's harmonized, but 
only kind of. And it's, and I think its intent is, is pretty important. I mean, so it, it says what its intent is later. I think it's in chapter 20. Um, it's going, it, it tells you outright that it's trying to convince you that Jesus is the Christ, but its historical place confirms that, um, Historians generally think that this was written uh, in a Christian community that was still a part of the the Jewish worldview, but that it was during the period where they were starting to separate, which, as you as you would imagine, would be really painful to separate from your community. Now you're a schismatic church. You're breaking away. And with that in mind, they think that it was written within that community intentionally to comfort uh, and spread spiritually buoy the members of that community as they're going through this difficult period where there's probably some interfamily bitterness. There's probably some persecution um, that it, the reason it's a spiritual uh, account of the gospel is because it wants to lift your spirits. It's not trying to tell you the narrative story. It's trying to tell you this spiritually focused story. Uh, it's meant to talk to your soul, not so much to your sense of history. Yeah. And it, and at least for me, it, it does that. I mean, that we, we both mentioned loving some certain passages from John and that's why they speak. They feel, Oh yeah. My two, I think my two favorite new Testament passages are both in John. Yeah. I won't give them away. (laughs) Tune in later. Will you, when we, when we come to them? Oh yeah. All right. Yes. Mine. I I think my favorite new Testament passage is probably also in John. Um, Great. Should we do, is it worth, we've talked, we've sort of, danced around now a lot of times this question of, you know, in discussing intent, authorial intent, and when and where things were written, this idea of authorship. And in what we've said, most of the theories we've put forward here don't assume that, for example, John wrote the Gospel of John or Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Um, is that true? Would you say that's a true assessment? And and and, and what I does that mean? Is that a problem? What does that mean for us? Probably depends on the person. I, I feel like I feel like we can isolate certain things that are valuable regardless of who wrote them. Yeah. I mean, so people, so all of these, strictly speaking, the documents we've found are kind of anonymous. Like it's not certain who wrote them. Um, like the earliest version, earliest copy of Luke we've found, like has a note on the back end that says, and this was the gospel of Luke. <laughs> and it's really, it's not certain if that's, a part of the gospel. It's, right. It doesn't it added later. Right. It doesn't have that usual, like in, in Greek culture where you have the, this is so-and-so writing to so-and-so they, they're lacking that for the most part. Um, but I think we can, I think that it doesn't matter in the sense that we can be certain of a few things. Uh, like we, like we talked about already that uh, Matthew is trying to persuade faithful Jewish people and Luke is trying to persuade Gentiles, but Luke still has a really his ideal vision of a Christian convert is still very Jewish that that you'll convert and then you'll still do all of this Jewish stuff and John is trying to lift your spirits. I think I think we can still isolate those very universal principles regardless of who wrote them. Um probably in the future we'll talk more about authorship and and things like that cuz we have to talk more about history in the future. <laughs> I mean next week we have to get into politics for instance. Uh, not our politics, <laughs> but ancient politics. <laughs> what do you guys think? I haven't decided yet. I like Me, I yeah. meaning you haven't decided if you think it's important, or you haven't decided who you think wrote it, or which part of that parse it for me. Which part haven't you thought about? Haven't decided about? Um, that I found out 
this week that the Gospels as we know them weren't written by the people whose names are on them. That was new information for me, and I don't know how I feel about it yet. Yeah, that's great. And it's possible there will be people who are listening who that's true for. And, like, logically... I get it. And like, I read my homework and it all makes perfectly (laughs) logical sense. And I still don't know how I feel about it. What what, what makes sense? um, That someone else could write for someone? Yeah, that someone else wrote for them, that it's really a compilation from a bunch of stuff written decades afterwards. And like, that these fishermen probably didn't have the understanding of Greek to put it down on paper. And like, it all makes logical historical sense and i don't know how i feel about it yet yeah and there's an element where like how close is it to their authors like are is the gospel of matthew specifically trying to portray the oral tradition of matthew or is he just putting the name matthew on there yeah or and we what, don't know what matthew became uh, matthew was what 50 years after yeah around 53 according to the tradition yeah. we don't know if that's true yeah and like i don't I'm still working on it. I don't know how I feel about it because it's brand new and it's percolating. And yeah, it's that. And that's one of the hints that Mark might be the earliest because it's Greek is very simple compared to the, like John, for instance, uh, even early Christian fathers felt one of the reasons it was later is because it has this very developed Mm -hmm. Greek, like we were talking about how beautiful it is, right? You don't usually read Mark and say how beautiful it is. Um, but John has this developed language and it has a developed theology. It has, it's making very, uh, these arguments that are very developed, whereas they don't exist in Mark. So, so that's one reason why the theory goes that Mark might be the earliest and maybe closest to its source. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. We don't know. And it, it can be a little, I don't know about uncomfortable, but it can make I'm us no, feel adrift. Yeah. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. I'm quite uncomfortable and I'm still, cause like it's that trying to reconcile that very practical, logical part of my brain of, well, this all makes absolute sense. And I don't know why, like my brain wasn't like, wait a second, the apostles weren't roaming around with notebooks as they followed behind Jesus. So it like that never crossed my mind before. They're MacBooks. Yeah. Like <laughs> no one was typing. No one had a recorder. Um, but at the same time. And, like, it kind of comes back to, like, does it matter that I've been moved by these scriptures before? I've been received revelation from these scriptures before. I have a testimony of these gospels. And, like, that doesn't change based upon the dude who wrote it 60 years after the fact. But, like, I'm still, it's such a brand new concept that I'm still, I'm still working on it. I, I really appreciate that perspective. And I, I think that's something that I also experienced when I kind of first had this realization of like, oh, then, you know, the New Testament probably isn't this nice, neat story. And, and even the first story that Andrew told, which was a fairly uh, tidy story, is less neat than the story that you sort of pick up in primary, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, but I actually think there's enormous beauty in it. And, and you talk about being moved. And we've talked already in this conversation about how God doesn't, you don't have to meet some threshold to be useful to God. And I think of all the people that might have played a role in getting us these gospels, maybe there was a Q source, maybe there was somebody else that we don't know about. All of these people played this deep, important role in helping me know Christ. And I think it's beautiful that God used them. And I even think it's beautiful that we don't really know who they are. 
And looking at the original documents, that's even the way they read. Most of the names that are assigned to them are assigned later by tradition. And so the authors themselves don't seem to be that worried about the credit. They want to share this story of Christ. And maybe that's because there are multiple authors. Maybe that's because there are oral traditions. And and I think we should emphasize, and, and Andrew hinted at this, that it is possible that much of the Gospel of Matthew came from oral tradition that Matthew was actively teaching. We're not saying that that's impossible. Um, we just don't know. And there's not good evidence of that that I'm aware of, yeah. per se. Um, but to me, I think there's actually great beauty in this sort of uncertainty of where does this come from? Um, because, yeah, like I say, it's then it becomes about sharing this testimony of Christ that I can still resonate with and can still be beautiful. Some of it for me, because I have a bit, I have, I don't know if I would say I'm just uncomfortable, uh, but it can make me feel adrift at times. Um, for me, <clears throat> one of the things that you learn in history is that everybody is, is captive to their time to some degree. Um, we'll talk about it in the future here that Jesus is not interested in talking about slavery being bad, for instance. It's just a fact of their world. Uh, like half of people are slaves. That's just reality. Um, one of the realities of this time is that they don't think about documents the way we do. If, if, if we were to find a source from Winston Churchill that was written by someone else, I would be up in arms because it would be, it would be, it, it, it would be stealing what he would have said. Um, there's a 50 cent word that we might use again. It's called pseudepigrapha. And what it is, is, is it's when somebody puts their name on a document that they didn't write. So, so for instance, you write an epistle and you say, this was written by Paul. And we have to understand that in this time period, that isn't seen as necessarily deceptive. Uh, sometimes that can even be appropriate. Like you're, what you're saying is, I am writing this document in the style of Paul, the school of Paul. I'm one of Paul's disciples, so I'm going to say it was Paul. Uh, it can even be an honor. Uh, and it's so, it's so different from the way we approach documentation. Um, so when someone writes that this is Matthew, it's possible that it's in that tradition, that this is somebody saying, I am trying to write this as though it were Matthew's gospel. Um, it could be considered an honor. Now, again, we don't know. But that kind of document making with somebody else's name is super common in this time period. Um, so I try to approach it with that, just that we're talking about people who, if we were to sit down and share a hot chocolate, we probably <laughs> wouldn't fire on many si similar cylinders. Uh, very 2000, you know, 20 years is a long time. It's hard to talk to your grandma, let alone talking to someone who's 2000 years removed from you, you know? Hmm. I now have more things to think about. I'm still uncomfortable. Watch this space as I work through that over the next couple of weeks, or as I'm replaced by another woman. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call her Amanda and pretend it didn't happen. Um, they'll they'll retape this, um, but like I don't. I, it's just a thing. I'm gonna have to work out because, like I said, spirit. Like I still have a spiritual connection to them and a revelatory connection to these works, and it. But just trying to merge those things—that's going to be a process of some time. I'm curious. What uh, do you, do you do? You know your plan on how to do that? Um, 
because that's I think that's one of the part of the question that Taylor was asking too is like so there's why does this matter and 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 who wrote it why does it matter to understand the history does does that help you um, reconcile some of this because I think there are a lot of people that have that question but maybe uh, I don't know if this is generalizing it too much but no one wants to be deceived yeah right sure. and and hearing that what is it a pig what is it called again pseudepigrapha pseudepigrapha I got another 50 cents yeah no, I like <laughs> it but to understand that's a thing and that it was okay back then that that well, helps in, in situations you know cuz that that's the thing is you don't want to be deceived cuz as soon as you feel like you've been deceived that your your house of cards can easily start to crumble mm-hmm. right and and i think one one uh one thing you said amanda that's huge for anyone is is prayer yeah cuz that's what it all boils back to right is is this going to help you come closer and and help your relationship with god improve and become stronger and prayers always. Yeah. I mean, I, I I loved being able to do that when I was uh, serving as a missionary. Is is sometimes it was new stuff that you were teaching people, and and to be able to say, hey, you don't need to take my word for it. For it, maybe you don't even need to take John's or or Matthew's or Luke's or whoever wrote it. You don't even need to take their word for it. You could go straight to the word. Yes, we we have one unadulterated source that we know. Is the source, and I know for me that just is huge hope, and that that always helps me uh, overcome any obstacle that where where at some at some level you're starting to feel deceived. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's an important point that uh, that having the names of Matthew put on here or, or the name of John is not is not played. This is, there's not there's nothing. It's not like we would understand in modern times. There's nothing ethically wrong with. It in that in that context, it would be wrong you know, today. Probably, it would be wrong today. But we hope. Yeah, we hope. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and see. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. This was the third hour, a Latter Day Saint Home Study podcast. If you felt any impressions or had any comments, we would love to hear them and provide you with next week's reading at the Third Hour Podcast We'll see you next time.